Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Today I have the opportunity to talk to Richard J. Varga. Richard was living and guiding in Norway and decided it was time to return home to Hungary. So he packed his boat and paddled there. So it's time to enjoy the story of Richard's epic journey titled Endurance Mission Paddling Upstream. Here we go. Hello, Richard. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, John. Ah, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and getting ready for this interview. The pleasure is for my side also. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit about your personal paddling background. You've got a great story and I want to hear where it started. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, my name is Richard. Uh, I'm a 41 years old Hungarian man. I lived uh, the last 12 years in northern Norway. In my childhood, I was paddling canoe once or twice. Uh, not many times, only summer times, uh, because the, that time in Hungary in the 90s, they didn't get too much opportunities for this kind of sports. My paddling uh, uh, started uh, just in 2013 in Norway, and that was also very funny uh, how it came. <laughs> uh, one of my friends who visited me several times in Norway, he had the crazy plan to paddle uh, kayak at the Spitsbergen in the Arctic. And uh, he wanted uh, that I will be part of this adventure. But you know, uh, before I never paddled kayak, so <laughs> it was a little bit uh, scary for me. It was in 2012 when he figured out about this trip. And uh, when I came uh, home to Christmas time to Hungary, I met him and uh, he put me in his kayak on the side river of the Danube. This was uh, love for the first time. <laughs> so, yeah, I knew I, I need to have my own kayak. Uh, so I traveled back to Norway and I bought my first sea kayak, Taha Reva Midi Plastic. And uh, I couldn't wait to get my dry suits. Uh, I had to paddle. Uh, the first weekend I got the kayak, uh, it was in March. Uh, it was cold and windy and with uh, half meter size waves. I had to go, I had to paddle around this small island I, I was living, So, but I, I feel that uh, it's not so very safe to paddle alone and on, uh, without any knowledge. So I did the basic sea kayak course uh, in May, and after this uh, I learned by myself the rolling. I watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos and uh, I tried uh, in the small bay uh, beside my house. Before we went to this trip in Spitsbergen, I had to be uh, with my family in Croatia on a family holiday. And I told my parents and my, my uh, sister and brother that uh, I need uh, two days off to do some kayaking. And then uh, I circumnavigated the island Rab in two days. And uh, after this uh, family holiday uh, came uh, the four days kayak trip in the Arctic. And uh, yeah, the feeling of the freedom uh, which uh, this paddling gave me, this was very, very, very enormous. I just wanted to paddle and paddle. So in the first year, I did almost 1,000 kilometers. I continued uh, with uh, the learning. I did uh, the next two steps uh, in the sea kayaking course. Beside this, uh, I started also playing uh, canoe polo. This was also... Uh, this raised my skills very, very much. In uh, 2014, I did uh, a solo paddling 
around the west coast of the Lofoten Islands in Norway. It was uh, around uh, 150 kilometers or something like this. During this trip, uh, I visited the local adventure company uh, to ask uh, for info about the last, uh, more exposed part of the trip. And uh, they told me not to go, <laughs> especially <laughs> not alone. <laughs> but uh, I was very dedicated, so I just had to move on. And uh, after three days, I knocked on their door again, and uh, they were very, very surprised. <laughs> and they, they asked me if I uh, would like to uh, enjoy uh, their company in the next year as a sea kayak guide. And of course, I, 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 I told yes, of course, I want. <laughs> so in the, the next year, in 2015, I went to southern Greenland and did uh, an own mini expedition. Uh, with this same friend, I have been in the Spitsbergen. Uh, we have been paddling between uh, huge icebergs, and it was uh, just like a dream. It was an uh, adventure for the life. Just as I came back from Greenland, I started uh, this job at the Lofoten Islands. I guided uh, day trips, and uh, I hold a basic sea kayak course. Because I worked on the surfing beach, I had the opportunity to do surf kayaking. And this became my uh, my favorite uh, kayaking. So this rises my paddling skills as much as canopolo, and I, I felt very very safe in the waves. I expanded my comfort zone all the time, more and more. And uh, suddenly, uh, last year, last spring, uh, I came out with this crazy idea of paddling home from Norway to Hungary. <laughs> so more than 5,000 kilometer long. Uh, Seeker expedition. It's called uh, Endurance Mission Paddling Upstream. I, I think uh, this uh, describes everything because uh, mostly I had to paddle against elements, against wind, against currents, and uh, against uh, the rivers. Only the last 600 kilometers I was paddling uh, with the flow on the on the river Danube. That's quite a uh, quite a history there, starting in 2013, uh, and all you did in 2013, yeah. and then the next year you're uh, you're soloing and setting up guiding opportunities. That's that's pretty impressive uh, history there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the endurance mission. What was the route? Yeah, I started this uh, uh, on the sandy beach in Ramberg at the Lofoten Islands, where I lived, and uh, I had to cross uh, the West Fjord. Uh, between uh, Henningsvær and Dengelöja and this was uh, the longest cross I had to do it was around 40 kilometers as I reached the mainland I headed south and followed the Norwegian coastline uh, approximately after 2100 kilometers uh, I crossed uh, the Oslo fjord and soon entered uh, Sweden there I paddled uh, 480 kilometer until Helsingborg, uh, then I crossed uh, to Denmark. In Denmark I paddled 320 kilometers along the more uh, weather protected east coast of the country. Uh, then I crossed to Germany. I paddled the direction the city Kiel and from here I crossed the whole uh, Danish peninsula uh, on the Nordost channel. It was around 100 kilometers uh, channel and uh, as I left it uh, I had to cross the river Elbe and then I parted a, a, a two days uh, 
on the what C until Wilhelm Saban, and uh, this was the last uh, part with the seawater. And then I entered uh, the Ems Jade channel, followed by the Ems Dortmund channel, Rhine Hermet channel, until the river Rhine. Here uh, are sighted, started to paddle upstream until the river Main. Still upstream, uh, I crossed over 30 lock chambers until I reached the Ma uh, Main Danube channel. From here, uh, 170 kilometers upstream until the city Kerheim at the river Danube. This, uh, this was very, very close to this beautiful canyon of uh, Wertenburg, and I, I wanted to, to paddle there. So to reach this, I had to paddle 20 kilometers upstream, and this was the last time I had to paddle upstream. From here, the journey followed downstream to Danube, Germany, Austria, Slovakia, and just uh, before the Hungarian border, I lifted the kayak over to the draining channel of the Danube, uh, and there I entered Hungary. And exactly there is my hometown. So many hundreds uh, showed up at the riverside to cheer for my last kilometers. From this channel, I had to cross uh, to the side river called uh, Moshoni Danube, and here I paddled half kilometers. And uh, after 171 days and uh, 5,079 kilometers, I finally reached uh, the goal line at the village Dunakiliti, uh, where I have my house. Yeah, and there, there are hundreds of people, known and unknown, uh, were waiting for me, and that was uh, that was epic. <laughs> so you mentioned it's paddling upstream as the uh, the subtitle. How long did you paddle upstream? Uh, Four thousand and uh, four hundred kilometers, circa. Four thousand four hundred kilometers upstream. Yeah, and I, I was like a salmon. <laughs> I was I was swimming from the sea, upstream on the rivers, back to home, and uh, I, I had to cross around uh, ninety-eight uh, log chambers. Yeah, almost hundred. Yeah. So, so why did you choose this trip? Uh, because uh, I guess nobody did it before. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, my, my, my family, my friends, they, they wanted that I move home from Norway. And they asked me all the time, eh, you should move home. It's, it was enough in Norway, just go home. And uh, because I did the trip uh, by car, by plane, by train, uh, I wanted to make it special. Uh, I don't want to ride a bicycle. Uh, other people did it before. So I was thinking, oh, I could do with the kayak <laughs> and I was checking uh, the, the map and uh, I, I saw there is water all the way so I just had, I just had to do it so like a great many adventures the answer is because I can yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> or, or why not <laughs> why not there we go so so what did you do to prepare for the trip well uh, I haven't much time to prepare because uh, the idea came in March and uh, end of May, I already started the journey. So, so two months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all my preparations were uh, to organize my financial duties uh, to tax office, uh, sell uh, some stuff which I don't need anymore in Norway. So I get a small uh, savings. <laughs> it was uh, really, really small. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and my motto was also uh, not to overdrive the planning. Simple is easy and most better. So, because uh, people always overdrive the planning, and uh, 
you can plan a lot of, but uh, there is always something what uh, crossing uh, your plans. And uh, if uh, you are always uh, planning and planning, and uh, suddenly you are sitting there uh, not to know how to continue, and you lose uh, the improvisational skills if uh, you always have a fixed plan. And uh, from the other side also, uh, people are always uh, reading guidebooks. I, I guess uh, they lose the feeling of the real exploring things by themselves. So I, I don't want uh, the, to prepare too much. That's a very interesting philosophy of going, yeah. going quick and keeping the, uh, the spirit of exploration in the trip. Yeah, yeah that's true. In the, in the beginning, I started uh, to stand, send mails to pot pot uh, potential sponsors, uh, but most of them took not even the time to answer. So hmm. in the in the beginning there was only one Tahai Outdoors, and uh, he uh, they they saw some potential in my plans and uh, they gave me a plastic sea kayak, uh, the Zegu Aro Play, and I have the same I have the same model in the glass holder, and I like uh, yeah and I liked it uh, like the qualities of this kayak and I know know it so, but uh, I wanted to use a more durable uh, a plastic kayak because uh, I paddled alone. I had to move this uh, kayak. It was over 80 kilos. I have to move it alone. And uh, if I if I uh, should uh, land on a rocky coastline in, in bad weather, uh, it could be fatal to land. Uh, I could uh, break uh, the glass saber very easy, and then the all expeditions could end as well. So I didn't want to take the risk. So this was this was very very nice that I get this plastic uh, sea kayak. So, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tahe was the was the first boat you purchased as well, right? Yeah, 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 that's true. So, what did you enjoy most about the experience? I enjoyed the feeling of the exploring. Uh, I paddled every day in a new area. Uh, there was always something new, and that was exciting. That was really exciting. That, that was not boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you don't know what's coming next, it's uh, nothing but an opportunity. So, what were some of your biggest challenges along the way? Uh, there was a lot of challenge <laughs> to, mo to move uh, this 80 kilo loaded kayak was uh, a big challenge by itself uh, until it was on the water it was pretty okay even in bad conditions of course i, I couldn't move as fast as uh, with an empty kayak uh, but it, it was okay and uh, but once i had to uh, land it uh, it was very difficult to do it alone pulling the kayak onto the shore uh, special uh, at uh, several meter high river sites with stones and rocks or when it was not allowed to use the ch uh, lock chambers then I had to pull it uh, over the dam so I lose uh, very very much energy in that minutes much more uh, than I would paddle in 12 hours so it was a big challenge and uh, mental it was also a big challenge to keep uh, keep up the humor in, in that low level comfort <laughs> Uh, when it was raining uh, several days, I had to continue in uh, wet clothes. Uh, the clothes uh, and, and, uh, don't dry out. I get to dress every morning in the smelly and cold wet neoprene long john. And uh, of course, it was always full with uh, some bugs and insects. <laughs> no. The first, at first, I have to remove it, and uh, it was not not really nice. <laughs> So your, mor your, your morning ritual every day was taking the bugs out of your clothing. Yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I could hang up uh, the long john on, online. It doesn't matter. This small box always find a way uh, yeah, to the, to the no-brain. Yeah. <laughs> so um, did, did you camp along the way or tell us about that? Yeah, mostly uh, I was uh, sleeping in the tent, uh, 90-95%. Uh, I just pulled out uh, the kayak uh, on the shore, not too far away because it was heavy and I, want, I don't want to, to move it uh, too much. So, yeah, sometimes uh, just two meters from the riverside. Sometimes I had to move it a little bit farther on the sea because of uh, the flow. Yeah, I got a lot of opportunities at uh, kayak clubs. Uh, they opened me the door all the time and uh, I meet also nice uh, uh, people from, uh, from my own country. They lived in Norway or Sweden. So I, I posted on a Facebook page uh, that I'm moving south and uh, if somebody would help me, I would be very, very thankful. So a lot of people showed up, so it was, it was really nice. So you found a lot of support from, from clubs and, yeah. and other friends. That's nice. River angels along the way. Yeah, and, you know, because uh, because I'm uh, paddling uh, canoe polo and uh, and uh, surf kayaking, I know I know a lot of people uh, in Norway and uh, and Denmark as well. So they help me all the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna step back for just a moment. You had mentioned the uh, the motivation. So how did you keep yourself motivated along the way? Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, not easy. <laughs> You know, because it was also a charity uh, program, uh, I was uh, collecting for uh, two foundations. I, I had to move on. I had to move on. Uh, and I also was uh, uh, thinking about uh, other people uh, who did uh, uh, difficult uh, challenges, like, uh, like Terry Fox, for example. He was uh, running uh, with one, one leg every day uh, a marathon distance. Or uh, there was a German uh, kayak paddler kayak uh, in, in the 30s or 40s, Oscar Speck. He was paddling from uh, Germany to Australia, over 50,000 kilometers. So and if, if people can do this, uh, I, I, I could do it also. Interesting. So that, that, was, yeah, that was my motivation. Yeah, I did read the story about Oscar Speck. That's, uh, that's quite an impressive yeah. journey as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, ten, ten times longer as my <laughs> my journey. Um, so you, you kept yourself motivated just thinking about the cause, thinking about the reason that you were doing the trip. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And how did you resupply along the way? Uh, that was not so difficult in Scandinavia uh, because uh, the harbors uh, they always have uh, a grocery, so every day. Or every second day, I could uh, fill up my uh, my uh, my food food reserve. I had uh, for four or five days, but all the time to, to the stores, I was filling them up, filling filling it up. So it was it was not not so difficult. In in Germany, in the riverside, it was a little bit uh, more uh, more difficult because uh, I had to leave my kayak on the riverside, and uh, I was not comfortable with this. Uh, there was a lot of there was many more people as in Scandinavia, and you never know who you meet. <laughs> and sometimes uh, the shops were not too close to the to the rivers. The longest uh, I had to walk eight kilometers one way. 
that was not nice. Uh, you know, all the day I was in uh, no brain wet shoes and my skin was very, very soft. And uh, then I put up the, my walking shoes and I get blister on the feet. <laughs> ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any uh, any any big mishaps or any big uh, any problems that you experienced along the way? Uh, not not that big, I guess. Uh, once uh, I get problem with my stomach, I was eating uh, pizza and uh, it was not very very good. <laughs> so <laughs> two days I get diarrhea. <laughs> uh, that, that was not nice. Uh, but uh, from other side, I, I was healthy all the way. Nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. So a pretty smooth journey then. Uh, yeah, I can say. Yeah. That's good. So tell us a little bit about some of the people that you met along the way. Uh, about the people. Yeah, there's always always interesting stories about uh, different people and personalities that we meet. Yeah, there was uh, a story. Uh, uh, on the way, I found the butter post four four times. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what was that? Butter post, or how you call it? When people are sending message in a, a bottle. Oh, a message in a bottle. Okay. Yeah, and uh, uh, one of these uh, was sent by a, a German man who was uh, on the cruiser ship uh, journey in uh, in Norway. He was uh, throwing it uh, out uh, on the Lofoten Islands, and I found it uh, at the Trondheim Fjord when I was uh, waiting. Uh, for, for something, I, some reasons, I guess, and I was I was fixing my kayak, and uh, then I was walking on the beach and found this uh, bottle, and uh, wow, <laughs> bottle post. <laughs> wow. Then uh, I, I was uh, reading it, and uh, he he wrote, if somebody find this, uh, should uh, contact him, and yeah, and I told him I, I have no, no not so much time to to write and speak with him because I'm on a big journey. And then he wrote back, oh, it's a shame that you are not uh, paddling uh, on the river mine because I'm living uh, in Würzburg and uh, there we could meet. <laughs> and I was checking, but I'm paddling on the river mine. So <laughs> and then uh, we, we keep, uh, keep uh, the contact. And uh, uh, when I reached the city, Würzburg, he was waiting for me with uh, the TV uh, crew and uh, a journalist <laughs> and with a full, full bottle. Yeah, with wine. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Yeah. So you, you find yeah. a message yeah. in a bottle in Norway, yeah. and yeah. you end up meeting the gentleman in Germany. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you say that you found more than one of those bottles, or it was just yeah. the one? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So tell us about some of the others. Uh, the first one, uh, I guess uh, it was uh, written by uh, uh, junkies <laughs> 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 or, or, or drunk uh, Drunk teenagers, I don't know. Because, okay. Uh, they they send it from 2020, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, they wrote that uh, the cats uh, will take over the power, uh, so we have to kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch out for cats. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> and uh, the the two last one, it was nobody. It was nothing. Uh, uh, no names, uh, no no address. Uh, who sent it? It was just uh, notes from the Bible. Wow, that's that's interesting. Finding four bottle post uh, messages in a yeah. bottle. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Any uh, so this gentleman that you met along the way, you met through the through the bottle. Um, did you have any other experiences of of interesting people that you met along the way? 
I met a lot of people, so I, I cannot mention only one or, or two. It was uh, I met uh, two other uh, German uh, couples. Uh, it was on the on the channel MCADA channel. I was uh, camping on the on the riverside, and the, uh, they showed up and asking me what I'm doing, and they told me I have I have to call them uh, next uh, afternoon where I reached uh, my camp spot and the day we come they will come with food and we can talk uh, together and uh, that happens they come the day after and they met okay so it was yeah it was really nice so if somebody else wanted to to replicate the trip or do something similar what advice would you have for someone planning a similar trip i don't think it will be the same <laughs> <laughs> but if someone want to do uh, a trip like this uh, i can just say once uh, do it you will learn and experience very much, especially about uh, about yourself. Yeah, your your philosophy of going quick, um, starting the or hatching the idea in April and and uh, launching the trip in May. You know, there's certainly something to be said for that of just just going as opposed to putting a tremendous amount of planning and taking the adventure out of it. Yeah, that's true. Of course, uh, I don't recommend to start uh, such long journey if you don't have the minimal skills. Or, or at least, uh, if you want to go, don't go alone. If you are not, if you don't have the skills, and I can also advise uh, do a few kayak or survival lessons, and uh, do some shorter trips before, in different conditions until you feel comfortable enough. Absolutely. Make sure you've got the the requisite skills in order to accomplish the trip and and to do it safely. You you want to be an old kayaker, not a not a famous kayaker for doing something foolish. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, and, uh, if you if you are paddling alone, it's very important uh, that you are hundred percent sure uh, you can save yourself even in the worst conditions, because even if you have an PRB, the rescue will not come in the next ten minutes, and if you are paddling in cold water conditions, you don't have so much time. Uh, the hypothermic uh, can come very very fast, uh, and uh, you will uh, not have so much time. You need. Uh, to leave the water as quick as possible and uh, it's the best option if you know the role that's the quickest uh, self-rescue we were talking about river camping earlier and uh, one of the things is that you you really aren't able to camp on the rivers throughout throughout europe is that correct yeah that's uh, not really allowed to do it uh, but uh, i i was speaking with this uh, german couples and uh, they they told me i'm not a free camper i am a traveler and the uh, travelers can always put up a tent or something uh, similar uh, just to get uh, shelter for one night. Mostly, uh, the people will not uh, say anything uh, against you. If, if you if you don't uh, make very very big uh, mistakes, if if you if you uh, watch out for the nature, and you don't uh, leave uh, garbage and if if you leave your camp spot as as you find it, I don't guess uh, that people will uh, make trouble for you. So as long as you leave no trace, people were okay with that. Yeah, I guess, yes. I, I, I never get program on the trip. That's excellent. Never, didn't have to hide from the authorities like you, uh, like you thought you would. No, no, no. <laughs> Is, that, that was a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you would do different uh, if you were to do this trip or a similar trip again? Yeah, maybe I would uh, invest more in uh, uh, waterproof solar chargers. More simple, I couldn't do it. <laughs> okay. 
Well, it certainly is unique to do a 171-day, uh, 5,079-kilometer journey and not have a tremendous amount of troubles along the way. I get only once uh, trouble with uh, with the ship, ah. uh, with a uh, with a tanker ship on the on the channel. All right, tell us about that. Yeah, uh, that happens on the uh, Rhine Herne channel. I was paddling always very close to the shore. I I could almost reach the shore so close, and suddenly a tanker ship was coming behind me, and it was really really close. It was so close that. Uh, uh, it, it hits uh, the bottom of the of the channel, and uh, he was pressing me very very uh, close to to the shore. And you know these uh, ships have, have this effect; they are uh, sucking the water under the propeller. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had to keep myself on the rocks. I keep fast on the rocks. But uh, when uh, these uh, waves and uh, this current was coming, it was uh, taking uh, taking me out and was capsizing me uh, but it was good that I could uh, uh, keep uh, keep myself uh, as long as possible so be, because if, if I uh, leave my gri grip uh, uh, quicker then I would come direct under the propeller I was very lucky that I survived this uh, this meeting with the ship Wow now did the did the boat capsize you you said or was it yeah, was it yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. and you and you rolled back up yeah, yeah, that's true, and that uh, that that could happen with uh, with the children because uh, on this part of uh, the channel, the local kayak clubs uh, have always lessons and they are making small trips, and if if this happens with a child or a or a person who is uh, just a beginner, uh, they could also end very very bad in this situation. Certainly. Now, was it a very narrow river that was causing uh, the, the ship to come right next to the shore? Uh, yeah, that, that was a channel. And, uh, a channel. A ch ch channel in an uh, industrial uh, area. So there are a lot of uh, ship traffic. Wow, that's, that, that is quite a scary experience. <laughs> yeah, that was scary. <laughs> <laughs> so you did this trip for a, to support a few organizations. Tell us a little bit about those groups. Because uh, I know that this is a really, really crazy journey, uh, crazy enough that uh, the media will show up. I, I connected this project with charity, and uh, I decided to use this media interest to support uh, these two foundations. The one is uh, the Norwegian Red Barna. Uh, they help uh, children in needs all around the world. The other is a Hungarian. Uh, it, it, its name is Bator Tabor. If you translate it, it is, it is the Camp of the Braves, and they are helping uh, kids uh, with cancer uh, to recover and feel better. They are organizing uh, camps and uh, canoe trips and uh, something like this. So it was very, very uh, impressive for me. That's why I was choosing them. Now, I'll make sure that I put links to uh, to those charities in our in our show notes so folks can see those and yeah. possibly yeah. provide some support to them uh, at a later point. This trip had a lot of personal meaning to you um, in terms of the, the, ch the choice to make it for children. Tell us a little bit about that personal meeting. Yeah, I, I, I thought that I can uh, be uh, a mentor for, for other, other children uh, to, to do something uh, what nobody else uh, could believe in, that uh, nothing is Im impossible. If you want something, uh, then you have to... Uh, keep this in, in your eyes and just uh, focus on this and uh, 
and because the children is uh, the future, uh, uh, I wanted uh, to be a good. Uh, I don't find the words for this. <laughs> <laughs> role model. Uh, yeah, yeah, role model. Yes, yes, yes. Well, certainly, uh, you you have been that. So, are there any sp- any sponsors that you'd like to thank that helped make the trip possible? Uh, I'm very thankful to Tahai Outdoors uh, to support me with this uh, fantastic kayak. And I'm also thankful for Tequila Kayaks. It's a Norwegian uh, kayak store. Uh, they supported me with some paddling gear and uh, this uh, radar reflex uh, on, on my paddles. Uh, I want to turn to Water Lily from Canada. Uh, they sponsored me with a water turbine to produce uh, electricity for my uh, electric devices. I would like to thank to my friend uh, Peter from Heavy Water Adventures. He helped me many, many times with the post and the delivering support. And other Peter from Trondheim, who gave me very quick help to repairing my kayak. My other friend uh, Attila from Oceanix.hu, uh, 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 who replaced some of my abused padding uh, clothes. I want to thank to my mentor, uh, Dr. Imre Farkas, uh, for his support. And uh, he was uh, the person who infected me with, uh, with the kayaking and but most of all uh, I'm very thankful for my family uh, who believed in me and uh, they couldn't sleep until I came safe to land every day until the goal line so I'm very thankful for to them also yeah. excellent were you able to keep in touch with them along the way yeah yeah every day I had to call my mother <laughs> <laughs> mom I'm alive you can go to sleep <laughs> now, did you carry a, a, a spot device or anything that people could track you along the way? Uh, I was uh, using uh, the application Endomondo. Okay. It was tracking, it was tracking my, uh, my my routes, uh, and uh, I all the day, uh, every day after I was finished with the trip, I posted on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How can listeners reach you if they have any questions about the trip or uh, like to learn a little bit more? Uh, me and my project is available on the Facebook uh, project called Endurance Mission Padding Upstream, or my name is uh, Richard J. Varga. And uh, I will just start also a website to my new business, www.kayak.cr. Uh, uh, Travel.com. Yeah, I would like to teach basic sea kayak skills and uh, and guide kayak tours in my home country Hungary, at the closest Adriatic Sea, and also in Norway and the Lofoten Islands or in Greenland, or at any other place with enough water under the kayak. I'm uh, they they can uh, they can uh, find uh, this contact. I will make sure I put that in our show notes as well. Richard, can you tell us who you might think would be a good guest for us to have on Paddling the Blue in the future? Uh, well, I would recommend uh, uh, the project trerustnaman.com. Uh, I met them during my journey in the northern part of Norway. They paddled the whole Norwegian coastline uh, from south to north, a bit more than 3,000 kilometers. Uh, they started three persons, I guess all of them uh, over uh, their 50s and uh, but one of them became ill and had to give up so they continued uh, two persons and uh, they also collected uh, for uh, for a foundation 
So it was a group of gentlemen that were, she said, 50 years plus, and they they paddled the north to the south? Uh, yes, uh, from south to north. South to north. Excellent. All right. Yeah. I will look them up and uh, see if we can get them on the show. Richard, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, and I'm certain that our, our listeners will enjoy the interview. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Richard Varga as much as I did. Uh, he really made that trip seem so simple. So... Join me for the next episode where I get the chance to talk to Chris Hipgrave. Now, I first met Chris at the Paddle Golden Gate Symposium, and he talked to the crowd one evening about his experience guiding in Antarctica, and I was quite fascinated by the whole thing. Uh, Chris is truly a man of many talents, but racing is where his love really lies. So we'll talk to Chris about why he races and his definition of performance paddling. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue. <laughs>